Obi-Wan Kenobi was amongst the greatest lightsaber duelists by the end of the Clone Wars era, a master of Sarisu, as Mace Windu told him. His early achievement of defeating Darth Maul on the surface of Naboo might seem like his greatest victory, but that was only the beginning of Kenobi's achievements with the weapon. He went on to stalemate the far more powerful Sith Darth Tyrannus in their fight aboard the Invisible Hand, until of course Dooku used the Force to, well, just take him out. And of course single-handedly took out General Grievous with all four of his lightsaber spinning arms, and later famously overcame his former apprentice Anakin Skywalker in the lava fields of Mustafar. To Kenobi, his blue lightsaber and the swordsman art of Sarisu was inseparable from his identity as a Jedi Knight. So why, when in hiding on the desert world of Tatooine, did Kenobi refuse to use his sacred weapon? And the answer is far more complex than you might think, than him just not wanting to be found by the Empire or seen by anyone else. And notify the Empire that a Jedi is near. Initially, Obi-Wan Kenobi's days on the Outer Rim planet were spent watching over the infant child of Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala, Luke. As the days turned to weeks and weeks turned to months, Kenobi started to realize that the barren expanse of sandy dunes was useful for one thing, dissuading off-worlders from visiting, and Kenobi was thankful for the lack of action. This boring region of the slice would allow Owen and Beru to raise Luke without the prying eyes of Imperial spies or Inquisitors. But Kenobi wasn't without his paranoia. He was well aware of the heights he once reached as a general in the Grand Army of the Republic. Even on the Outer Rim, it wouldn't be unlikely for a passing smuggler to recognize Kenobi's piercing blue eyes, even beneath the layer of sand and salt crust that often caked the Jedi's face. So Kenobi created a series of rules, a pattern of habits, that would help him avoid detection on Tatooine. Not for the sake of his own survival, but so that Luke Skywalker would never be found by the Inquisitors. After all, one former Sith Lord would manage to track down Kenobi to the dunes of Tatooine during his time in Hermitage, this of course being Darth Maul. During their brief encounter, Maul was able to cunningly deduce why Kenobi was on the planet in the first place. But of course, Maul was pretty brilliant, and you know, Inquisitors, not so much. Now, if we're to compare Maul to Vader and Palpatine, then he's definitely not as intelligent. However, compared to other dark side users, Sith acolytes we could say, I think he was definitely pretty smart. If former Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker ever received reports of Obi-Wan on Tatooine, it would only take him a short while to realize that his former master was there protecting something. Maybe that's his son. As part of Kenobi's rules, he never used the Force, or at least tried to avoid using it. There were brief moments when Kenobi truly had no choice, like the time Jabba's weak-way thugs turned their guns on the innocent civilians at a nearby farmer's market, and the wizened master had to reach into the Force to protect the locals. But those moments were very rare. And actually, since Kenobi soon realized that Tatooine was a rough, lawless Outer Rim rock, he kind of began to avoid human settlements altogether. Instead, he would pass his time in isolation or with the short, brown-cloaked Jawas who would glide up and down the dunes in their towering sand crawlers. Something that would keep him in shape was he actually fought Tusken Raiders hand-to-hand. -hand. Well, you know, them with their weapons and gaffy sticks, but him with his hands. He would do this to pass the time and to just keep in shape. Now perhaps Obi-Wan's most important rule in his time in exile was to never use his lightsaber. The blue plasma weapon was as iconic as the rust-colored hut barges that sailed along the horizon every night. One brief glimpse at that blade would be enough to send every bounty hunter in Mos Eisley into a frenzy, since Jedi and their weapons could fetch such exorbitant prices 
and it wouldn't be long until Vader would arrive aboard his customized TIE fighter. Just like his use of the Force, Kenobi's few times using his lightsaber on Tatooine were in only the most extreme circumstances. Like of course the day Black Chrysanthemum dangled Uncle Owen off the side of a cliff and nearly killed the only father figure that Luke had known. But Obi-Wan's refusal to click that little button on the side of his lightsaber hilt wasn't just for Luke's sake, there was something more. The Greying Jedi realized that the years of battle and war had taken a toll on his true path. Often, while reaching out to his former master, Qui-Gon Jinn through the Force, and this of course is in Legends, Kenobi commented on just how strange his life as a general had been. And in the cool nights of Tatooine, when the only audible sound was the hoarse-voiced roars of passing Tusken Raiders. Kenobi even wondered if participating in the war was the right choice at all. As the years passed and his own skills in combat deteriorated, Kenobi lamented that he was no longer the fast, cunning Sarisu master he had been in his youth, but at the same time, he wondered if the boring life of a hermit on Tatooine wasn't more fitting of a master of the order. Now obviously something I really want to see in the Kenobi show is Obi-Wan, you know, using his blue lightsaber once again. However, that being said, it would really go against, well, kind of canon if he did. He would have to be somewhere off-world and even then it would be extremely difficult for him to use his lightsaber because at this point, lightsabers were really rare. They weren't all that much used at all because all the Jedi were in hiding or they were extinct. The only lightsabers seen were Vader's red ones, so seeing a blue one somewhere would really send everyone into a frenzy. And of course the main thing for Obi-Wan was to keep Luke safe, however when it came down to it, he would have to do what he needed to do, including using that lightsaber, even if it meant giving up his location and who he is, which I think makes it really interesting because if he gets to the point where he has to use his lightsaber like a life and death situation for Luke or for himself even, he knows that many people around him will see him and he will have to take them out or maybe Jedi mind wipe them. But even then, can he take the chance? Would he risk it all for that? All it takes is one person from far away to see it and for Vader to show up at his door or at Luke's door and it's game over. Vader would either kill Luke or he would take him with him and train him to become his apprentice. Now it was always said that Galen Merrick, Starkiller, was essentially as powerful as Luke would have been if he had trained with Vader since he was a boy. And I find this really interesting because Galen Merrick was unbelievably powerful. He freaking stopped Star Destroyers in the sky, so it makes me also wonder just how powerful full potential Anakin would have become had he not lost to Obi-Wan on Mustafar. Like if that's supposed to be Luke's power, then what the heck would Anakin have been? I mean, 200% of Palpatine's full power is what George Lucas always said, and that just blows my mind because Palpatine was the most powerful being in the galaxy. Now I know you're thinking, oh well Mace Windu beat him. First of all, I think Palpatine threw the fight when he was fighting Mace Windu. Second of all, Mace Windu has this really overpowered ability called Shatterpoint, and he was also using the seventh lightsaber fighting form, Vapod, which is a variant of the form even. It's like, seventh form is pretty badass, and then Vapod itself is something that he created, and it allows the dark side user that he is fighting to essentially reflect their powers back onto themselves. So their powers will go through Mace Windu and his own dark side emotions and be reflected back onto the user of the dark side. So, the enemy. He was kind of using it like an ever-flowing tap, you know, the more powerful Palpatine became through their fight in Revenge of the Sith, the more Palpatine started to lose because Mace Windu's defenses and offenses were growing. And as for Shatterpoint, well, he could see literally 
any weakness in any situation or any fighter or any being at any moment. So he was kind of like this very OP character that I kind of wish we learned more about. But that being said, I can see why he was so arrogant and foolhardy when he was speaking to Ahsoka and Anakin, because he probably felt like he was the chosen one or something like that. But anyways, now I'm starting to digress. I hope you guys enjoyed this video and it gave you a little bit of insight on Kenobi and what we can expect from the Kenobi show. I'm extremely excited for the show. I can't wait to do the watch parties with you guys and the breakdowns and all the videos to come and just kind of dive into the prequel world once again, because it's prominent now. It's actually happening. A moment like this hasn't come by since Revenge of the Sith for me. So you can imagine how excited I am. You know, the little kid in me is, is he's alive again. He's, he's, he's coming out. So anyways, love you guys. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Theory. Until then, the force will be with you always.